Blah. So yeah, shout out to Bob Rose who did that. Shout out to Bob. R.I.P. 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 Bob. <laughs> Stand over there a little bit so we don't get the frequency feedback. Two mics. So Jeff, thank you for coming to Halfway to Genre last day. I really appreciate you bringing Romeo's Distress. So um, when I first saw this at Nightmares, I was taken back by the uh, just like the indie, the indie intuitiveness of this film. It literally, when someone says go out and make your own damn movie, this is. This is it right here. Like this is a no budget, low budget, just labor of love that's basically uh, kind of like a, a funnel into your brain, basically. So talk a little bit about, I don't know, like when you set out to make a feature film, like what, what goes through your head? Like what, what are you thinking and like how did this turn out compared to what you originally envisioned for this film? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having Romeo's Distress. I really didn't think it was gonna play in a theater again let alone an Alamo draft house, which is my favorite place in the world. So it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 yeah, this movie, this movie, which you can see on YouTube, by the way, <laughs> is playing <laughs> on, uh, on uh, Alamo draft house screen. It's a real dream come true, so thank you. Um, how, did the, how did this, how did it turn out versus how I imagined it? The script is way different. Um, I didn't get to shoot the last third act of the movie. The whole third act like basically wasn't shot. I got to shoot the end part, and there was a bunch of scenes that we weren't able to film. And as you saw, I, you know, this is sort of like the director-director's cut, I guess, because I inserted a, a, a shot that uh, communicated the true intentions of what was supposed to be a love triangle between uh, a dead girl and her now ex-boyfriend, now that they're broken up, and a creepy, stalker, psycho that wanted to uh, consummate his relationship, uh, even after the fact. And um, yeah, so a little bit of that came through. But uh, you know, it's I, it's so true about like you know, a movie. You can write a movie, and then you go into production, and then you the movie changes again. You rewrite it based on what happens during production, and then again with the editing. And I really think a lot of the story here came together in the edit because it's not what's on the written page, uh, which really taught, taught me a lot about like, you know, trusting, you know, you can write something down, but then like, don't worry about where it's going to go. Just, you know, go with the, go with the flow and see how it all connects together. Well, because you're really big into music and, and like punk music and, and that whole scene. And this does feel kind of like a punk film where it's, it's a punk just, rock movie. It's a totally. punk rock movie. And totally. talk a little bit about your influences in the punk scene and, and where you come from there and how that shaped the film. Um, I, I don't know if, you know, I, I definitely love punk rock and punk rock music. I think that the attitude is punk, but you know, I, I just, I just took a page after, you know, all my favorite filmmakers and just, I, I truly believe you don't have to be in LA or New York city or any major metropolitan city. You should just tell a story right where you live with the things that you have, you know, the, the, I guess that's the Robert Rodriguez way. And, you know, that's my grandma, who's no longer with us, but I'm sure it's so, so nice to see her on the big screen. I was like, Grandma, you have to let me feed you baby food. So she was like, okay. <laughs> and um, uh, I guess uh, Dave Street, he, he, he wrote the insert on the horror business EP for the Misfits, the Misfits EP. He's, he plays Uncle Elmo. And you know what's weird? That's, it's been so long since I've seen Rose <clears throat> Distress that I actually got to watch it like I didn't make it. I guess. Like, I got to watch it as, like, a movie, I guess. 
which I like didn't think was possible, but it like totally is. And you know what I realized? I think Uncle Elmo is a figment of James's imagination. He's not real. <laughs> I didn't write it that Are way. Are you coming up with? I'm coming up with that right now. Hot takes on your own. <laughs> I think Uncle Elmo is a figment of his imagination. I don't think he's real. I think he tells him to do all that stuff. You doing all right? Because that's what he wants in his head. Yeah. He's not real. I mean, it makes sense. He says, I have no friends except for my Uncle Elmo. I was like, wait a minute. No one sees Uncle Elmo. Did so I write that? I didn't write that. I totally didn't write that. But I was like, I, think he's, I don't think he's real. So this definitely has like almost like a 90s indie right. feel, like a Larry Fessenden, Jim Jarmusch kind of wow, that is high kind of feel going on. It really does. I was really taken by it. What um, what were some of the initial impressions when the film was finished and some, some people were watching it? What did they think about it? I mean, I, people people seem to like it. You know, um, I, I try to, you know, the thing about films are, especially your first film, especially um, when, you know, you make something at super low, no budget, it's, you know, it can have a lot of warts and it can be, it's like, it's like no matter what, no matter what this movie is, it's my child and you always love your children, no matter what, you. right? Unconditional love. So that's how I feel about this movie because there's a lot of stuff I would change. And that's why I inserted that that butt shot at the end. Because I really, really needed James to have sex with a dead horse. <laughs> it just was not in there, and it always bothered me for years and years. I was irked. There's supposed to be a lightsaber fight under a street lamp with a golf club and a, a shovel. That's why he has the shovel, because he's supposed to have a lightsaber fight. He wasn't able to do it. It's supposed to be like Battle of Good versus Evil, but reversed. And... Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we just didn't get to film, and so you know, and so if you're making a feature-length film and you don't get to shoot a lot of the stuff, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Find the story in the edit. Find a, a way to still come out with uh, uh, something, a story that you can tell, and do do the best with what you got. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know that you like to make your own props for your films too. I love my favorite thing in the world. I saw that you've got a project coming up that I saw that you were making a ton of props for. How many props did you make for this film? Did you do that work too in this film? So everything. The, the whole bedroom collage, before we even shot any footage, I took the actress that who played Jane and we shot 150 stalker photos. <laughs> then I printed them out at, at Kinko's and I cut them all out and made this collage that you're only supposed to see once you, it comes into focus. You're not supposed to really know what's in the background. And uh, same thing with the the, yeah, the crack cheese balls. I just love doing chocolate rain, chocolate rain chocolates. I just love, I love doing that. I'm currently, uh, I'm doing, I, I did that for this new thing. And uh, we have some whipped cream that's called Uncle Moo with the same Nicolas Cage emoji <laughs> character. Uncle Moo's uh, caffeine flavored, uh, caffeinated whipped cream. It will take you to the moon. So that's gonna be fun to uh, put on a t-shirt maybe or something. So I know that you're a huge Nicolas Cage fan. If you could put Nicolas Cage in Romeo's Distress, where would he be and why? That's freaking, he, two roles. He's gonna play the now, I'm officially saying this, as writer director, I now decree, Five years after this movie was made, that Uncle Elmo is a figment of James's imagination, and he could play Uncle Elmo, or he would play Dale Matthews, the the bereft father. Yeah. Who I mean, he would. I feel like Nicolas Cage would kill that. He'd just be a great breakout. Scene. Jeff Solomon did a great did a great job. Yeah. That would be oh, Nicolas Cage in that role. So, what could have been? What yeah? What could have been? If only I had some uh, white leather pants and. Uh, 
you know, shuffled over in Vegas in with a shrimp cocktail, I'm sure he would have been all about it. I think he likes the opera, so you just give him some tickets to the opera. Does he like the opera? He does. He likes Wagner. Putting that little Nicolas Cage factoid in my pocket. You I can't believe you didn't know that. I did not know that. About I learned things about Nicolas Cage all the time. I was telling Bob Rose, whose film played before mine, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like Nathan Essex, Mr. Sinister, who obsesses over the, the Summers bloodline. I obsess over the Cage bloodline. <laughs> the Cage line. <laughs> the Cage line. Yes, that's me. So uh, what what is next for you, Jeff? I know you've got some projects in the world. Oh, I don't know. I still can't talk about what's next, but I am working uh, I am working heavily, deeply on, uh, I have a variety, I have many fingers in many pies. And hopefully, if everything works out, one of those pies will be served hot and fresh, perhaps, at the Winchester Alamo. But we will see. Time will tell. Fingers crossed. In in always, six always, months time. Yeah, six months. Plenty of time, guys. Plenty of time to do things. Do anything in six months. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, you, do you have any questions for uh, Jeff or Romeo's distress? Anything at all? All it takes is one person, Mike. So the uh, the insert shot you had at the end that was not in the cut that we saw at Nightmares. That was not in the cut. I that was a long time. I so what happened was I um, I moved into my new house and I uh, had this closet that built is completely pitch black and I thought I just again I just never sat well you know for years and years and years I always used to say uh, it's better to compromise your vision and have something than be uncompromising and have nothing. If I was uncompromising in what I originally wanted, which was some some necrophiliac love, um, I never, this movie would have never been made. It just wasn't possible. There was too many elements. I, I had to, I couldn't get into a real cemetery, let alone simulate sex in a cemetery. It was just really hard. We'd already, we broke into a cemetery at two o'clock in the morning to get those shots. And we got kicked out of the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery for the daytime shots, that guy in the white van. You'll notice, I think I said, I, he's not thanked in the credits because he kicked us out multiple times. We kept sneaking back in. Um, and um, and it was just, it, it, uh, it just never friggin' sat well with me. And so I said, you know what? Uh, I, I looked in the cut because I didn't want to like, I didn't want to take apart the cut. I'm sure you, you're well aware of this. Once you stitched a movie together and it's like this big, it's like a big Lego. Imagine you built a big Lego Millennium Falcon and you're like, oh, the gunner seat in the center of the Millennium Falcon. I'll just rip the whole Millennium Falcon open just to put in this little gunner seat. I'm like, I can't do that. So I found a few places where I could slap, slip in that shot that made sense and then added it the rest with the set, did some sound effects uh, just to really, I guess it got the point across that he, he was he was having sex with James Corpse, right? Seems mm. like that, right? Yes. Corpse sex? Really? That's what I was hoping. I think that your analogy about the Lego is really apt. Um, when I'm building Legos and I want to put a shot of a man's ass, I'm totally on board. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Very, very sage advice. Um, uh, I think I had, there was another question over here. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't want to be like stomping on your vision, but you mentioned that Uncle Elmo is in his head. Uh, what I was thinking to kind of put a little uh, Easter egg in there. Yeah, please. Kind of, kind of Love that. supporting that. Yeah. The shot where you see his feet and his feet are on the cheese balls. Yeah. I almost don't want the cheese balls to be there. I want it just to be his feet and his legs. Like that never happened. It was all in his head. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. There was the crushing of the cheese balls. But yeah, but they, the they wouldn't be there in that shot. would be like, oh, wait a minute. I don't know. Maybe he just throw, was throwing the cheese balls around. That could be it. 
they, he just threw them around and they landed on the floor. But I just like, I don't know, I just love the fact that, or I think I like it better that he lives alone with his grandma. It's just, up, I guess it's up to interpretation, but yeah. like I said, I watched this for the first time as just an audience member, and that's what I, t as not the guy who wrote or directed or edited or made the movie, I was like, you know, I don't think that guy's real. I think he's just a figment of the imagination. That's my hot take on my own movie. I'll have to ask the director about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck you. <laughs> Shut up. You were that's my ass. <laughs> That's my ass. I went into a closet like this. I put the camera lying down. I then took a LED light, shined it. It was weird. It was a weird shot to get because I had to sort of like, no, you know what it was? Actually, the camera was like this. Now I remember. And then I got down. And mind you, it was pitch black in the closet. And what kept happening was I had to, it was hard to line up the shot. There's nobody telling me is my ass in frame. So I had to keep humping the air over and over again. I was waiting for my, you know, the light to shine on my ass just right, just to hit, just to get that light. You know, because I mean, if it's going to be anybody's ass, might as well be mine. So I, that's what I did. That's, yes. So that's the answer to that question. DIY filmmaking at its finest, which hey, if you need an ass, use your own. Any other questions? Yes, Chris. Uh, when you we find out what happens to Jane in the end, did you know that when you started writing the script, or did you write up toward it? That I knew from the beginning. That was always planned, and it was always planned to slowly reveal. Because I mean, a lot of this, it's an, it's like you know, it's like uh, wanting to be avant-garde. Like here's a shot of him walking through New York City, and here's a shot of him eating pizza. That has nothing to do. It could totally be cut. You know what I mean? But like, I was like, I need this to at least hopefully pull the audience, uh, the you know whoever's watching it, like you know, keep, uh, string them along. Like, are you curious enough that you want to see why the the thing is, you know, and why this is in color, why it's not, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so that yeah, that was always always there. But what's here's what's supposed to happen. He uh, James escapes. He gets cut off by Bobby, who calls. Jeff, uh, Jeff Dale, who's dead, and says, he's on his way, go get her. You know, let's go save her, save her, that's what he says. He, they pull up in front of a street light, lone street light, supposed to shine down, and then uh, he has a golf club, and James has that shovel that he just beat Jeff to death with, and Jeff Solomon, and then they fight, and it's supposed to be like Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker at the end of Return of the Jedi, and then just to mirror the scene, the A-B scene, he's supposed to overcome his bully, you know, that whole thing. He calls him a shit stain again. He says, I am not a shit stain. That was like a A, B call response thing. And then he makes it to the cemetery. He says this thing. The character that I play was completely made up after the fact. And then I shot scenes of myself and inserted it into the movie. And there's no explanation for the character. The grave digger guy just was like, I don't have a completed film. Just going to literally shot the ending with me in it. Like for some reason, handing him a vial of poison that I just made up on the spot. And I was like, okay, we got a vial of poison. Now we got to go back, got to shoot a scene where he's mashing some flowers, because that's what, you know, and I was like, oh, Romeo and Juliet, right, yeah, the poison guy. Yeah, sure, okay. And like, it's just one of those elements where literally, you know, where you look at something and it's unexplained, and then you as the viewer are supposed to sort of piece together. I'm not going to explain it because I have no explanation. Yeah. And you just figure it out, or you don't, and you're just like, what if that was weird and random? And that's it. I like that. 
have the explanation. That's that's perfect. Exactly. So, any other questions before we wrap this up? Awesome. Thank you for coming out for Romeo's uh, Distress. Right. Thank, you. Thank you everybody for watching. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff will be here all day. If you want to buy him a beer or ask him a question. Yes. Um, Let's talk. Uh, we also have, uh, I did not mention earlier, Josh Stifter is also here. Woo! He is the director of The Good Exorcist. Woo -woo! Tonight at 8 o'clock, he'll be here all day. Tonight at 8.